This is To The Point. A Rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Hey, what's up, To The Point listeners? It's the host to The Point Home Services Podcast, Cristiano, along with my co-host, Mr. Tall Paul Redman. Tall Paul, what's up, buddy? Yano, my man, always good to see you. You're looking fresh. You got a good haircut. I've known you long enough to know when you look like you're ready to go, and today you look like you are ready to go. Doesn't it just feel better when you get a haircut? Like, I always, I, I, my hair was really long for me. I got a haircut last night. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to spend the 15 minutes it takes, but man, I feel so good afterwards. And I didn't expect you to notice, but I got mine cut too. Yeah, no, you can't tell. It still looks like fluffy. I know. No, thanks. Well, like listen, personality. Um, <laughs> yeah, enough about haircuts. So listen, we have a, uh, a guest on the show today that um, actually, I think we met during uh, the beginning of COVID. Actually, I'm pretty sure because I think I'm really like, somewhere uh, around there. Um and it was a, uh, I, now this guy's been in, in the industry a long time. And we know all the same. After I talked to him for like an hour and a half or whatever, I realized we know a lot of the same people. Um, but he's been in the industry a long time. A lot of success, a lot of coaching, a lot of, I mean, so I'm excited to have to have our guest on today. And I'm going to get into it um, because we have a lot of questions that we want to ask to kind of to, um, just to, just to tap into all those years of knowledge and experience and, and also of working with some of the biggest and brightest, you know, in the industry, not just in the United States of America, but really all over because I mean, you've been in Australia, so there's been a, a lot going on. So I've learned some interesting things about that, but, um, in the, uh, and, but we'll talk through that. So quickly, I want to bring on our guest, uh, Joe Cunningham and Joe is, uh, now Joe, you're in Houston, right? That's right. I'm in Houston. He's in Houston, Texas. So, um, but Joe's in Houston, Texas. He has a, a company down there called Your Air, um, which is those pink, those pit, the pink fleet <laughs> with the hearts on it. Right. That's right. That's it. Pretty recognizable. He's also the president of Success Track Network and the founder of Technical Arts Center. Um, done a ton of consulting, coaching, and things like that in the industry for a long time. So, first and foremost, uh, Joe, hey, welcome to the point. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's an honor to be on here. Uh, I've listened to some of your podcasts, and I've seen some of the people you've had on here. And you've had some really great people. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we've uh, we've been uh, super fortunate to have great guests on here too. So, and and we're excited to have you on as well. Now, listen, I know that you are the pride of uh, Central High School in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Is that correct? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you you could have called me the pride. Uh, I was there. I was there, but uh, I don't know that pride was the right. <laughs> <time>. uh, <laughs> hey, well, nobody else needs to know the difference. Yep, that's right. Um, hey, so I saw something because we're friends on Facebook um, that you are into. Before we get into it, just because I, I saw this, um, so you had some success here recently uh, with uh, Tomcat Smoke. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, my family and I, we raise horses and cattle and we show horses and cattle. And over the years, I've had a lot of really nice horses. And uh, the horse you're referring to, Tomcat Smoke, is a colt that we raised. I, I rode his mother. I won the world on her three times in working cow horse. My son won the world on her three times in working cow horse and once in rainy. And now this was her first baby that we showed. And this was his first 
well, the third time after the show, first big show, and he was reserve world champion at that, the uh, paint world show about a week ago. So we're really proud and really excited with this horse. And then we've got another full brother of his coming along. So the horse business is a lot of fun, kind of an expensive hobby, but it is a lot of fun if that's what you enjoy. <laughs> and uh, we're really proud of that horse. Yeah, the equine industry is uh, big bucks. And Chris rides horses. Oh, does he? He does. I, my best memory of Chris on a horse was traveling in the backwoods of Wyoming and his horse, uh, just out of nowhere, after it bucked, tried to buck me off my horse, just stops in the middle of a mm-hmm. river and dumps Chris in the middle of the river. Just no cause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he might have thought he was getting a little overheated. That but must have been it. That's, that's it. He, he landed real well. I'd have been out of work for a week. Yeah, that, but. <laughs> that was a... They're a lot of fun. Our whole family does that, and we really, really enjoy it. And uh, now we've got the, the third generation coming along and showing, so so we're really excited about that as well. Love it. Hey, fun fact. I was on the uh, PRCA, Rodeo Cowboys Association, turquoise circuit as a bull rider for two years. Did you know that, Joe? No, I didn't. Yeah. I did not know. I did. Those were the poorest years. What made you stop that? What's that? What made you quit that? Well, a few things. <laughs> One, I had a daughter, so that puts a damper on yeah. things. And two, I was as broke as you can, as broke can get. So apparently uh, the rodeos, I won three rodeos while I was in my thing, but three rodeos in two years don't pay a whole lot. <laughs> so No, it does. But, it no, was a, but I've got that the experiences a and, a, and a broken sternum and a broken wrist to go along with it, and that was enough for me to – to bail out so anyhow fun fact that was uh on the bull riding circuit if you guys ever go in my office and look you'll see like you'll see it on the, the couple pictures in there too that's the only memories i have i'll tell you what bull riders this is what's this is what's tough about bull riders is they always want to fight so i had so mm-hmm. many fights so many fights over stupid stuff like i, I was i'm glad that my life i've got great memories i'm glad that stuff was over so everybody's a tough guy <laughs> everybody's a tough guy yep goes with the territory so let's what's that Why you i'm just trying to, i'm trying to imagine my gangly self on a bull being tossed around the arena what that would look like like a giraffe sitting on top of a bucking bull <laughs> it works better with short people yeah because ba- balance is pretty key okay let's get let's get into this too yeah. everybody on this podcast right now is like what the hell are we listening to okay so let's go ahead and hop into it because obviously you've been in the industry a long time and worked with a lot of, of very successful companies and done a lot of coaching and you still do so i want to i want to go into it and i want you to let our listeners know um just kind of tell us your story on how you get into the trades and kind of uh like your your whole like i guess your whole path and then where you're what you're, where you're at and what you're doing today okay well to begin with if you had ever asked me when I was back at beautiful Central High School if I would ever have been doing anything like this, I would have told you no. Mm-hmm. You know, my aspirations when I was in high school was to become a blacksmith and a horse trader. And I rodeoed as well. So, uh, you know, I had to make some switches. And uh, I did that for quite a while. And then I had an uncle that was a licensed plumber. So I worked for him. And he was really the first person I worked for in the trades. You know, I, I did work when I was little because when you're little and you have an uncle that's a plumber, you're kind of enslaved at an early age. So I was enslaved as the plumbing side, and I found out I really didn't like digging ditches enough to stay in there. So I wanted to, to move out laterally a little bit. 
so I went to work in the carpentry business and I had a, a framing company and we did framing and we helped build houses. And from framing, I went into the home improvement business, which really changed my mind on, on what I wanted to do. You know, I, I, I went into the home improvement business through the technical side by doing it, but then I also got involved in the sales side because when I first did it, I knew how to do it real well. I just didn't know how to sell it or price it or anything else. Sure. I just gave them a price that sounded good. So <laughs> I went to work for a real home improvement company, and they taught me, number one, how to canvas, which was probably the most valuable skill that a person could ever be taught. You know, there was, there was no internet back then, so they hired me as a canvasser. And a canvasser is somebody that goes door to door, knocks on doors, and begs people to let a salesman come in and sell them something. And I had an extremely good salesman teach me how to do that. And I moved from canvassing to selling. Well, when I did that, I was actually living in Rochester, New York at that time. And I found out I didn't like Rochester in the winter worth a damn. I don't blame and you. I had to get out of there. So I ended up going to Florida. And from Florida, I worked in the home improvement business a little bit more. And then I went back up to the Washington, D.C. area, which was kind of an in-between point. And I did pretty well in the home improvement business there. And then I moved to Houston. And... Uh, when I moved to Houston, Houston was the biggest boom town I'd ever seen in my life. I've never seen a place like this. And it was really easy to find a lot of work. So I went to work for a home improvement company. I sold for them. Then I left and went out on my own. And I was selling home improvements, roofing, kitchens, bathrooms, siding, things like that. And then I accidentally sold an air conditioning system. We were working on a house, put on a big room addition and the lady said, you know, Joe, the air conditioner didn't work too well in here last year. I know the air conditioner is not going to work good with this big room addition. Can you put one in for me? So I told her, I don't know if you can, I can or not, but I knew the guy that framed for me. He had a brother in the air conditioning business. So I called him up. He gave me a price. I charged her $1,000 profit. She said she'd pay it. I thought, damn, this is a good business. <laughs> so he taught me a little bit about it, not very much, probably just about enough to be uh, – dangerous you know because he charged me by the ton to install because he was a new construction contractor and i think i probably paid him about 700 dollars a ton back then to supply the equipment and install it because i had no connections with buying equipment i had nothing i subcontracted everything i was doing out including my first install so when he told me the price and i figured out i could sell this in these neighborhoods because i was working in neighborhoods that didn't have central air in all the houses. They were still windy unit neighborhoods because they were just little old frame houses built back in the 50s and 60s. So I just started selling air conditioners like I did home improvements, going door to door. And I found out it was pretty easy because these neighborhoods were totally being ignored by the air conditioning business. You know, and since I came from the home improvement business, I knew that the people that lived in these houses had money and they were buying stuff. You know, and they were buying siding and they were buying windows and they were buying roofs and they were buying carports, but they still had a window air conditioner out there. So I saw some opportunities. And when I talked to an air conditioning contractor, they tell me, you know, they don't, we don't go in there. Those people don't have any damn air conditioning. Why would we go in a neighborhood with no air conditioning? And I thought that was really a dumb question. That's like the two shoes, shoe salesmen that got sent to Africa. And they once sent a letter back and said, this is the worst territory I've ever been to in my life. Nobody here even wears shoes. And the other guy sent another uh, message back and said, this is the greatest place in the world I could ever be because nobody has any shoes. So I looked at it as nobody has any air conditioning and I need to help them. 
And that's what I did. And I just started knocking doors every day. I had three subcontractors that subcontracted from me. And that's what I did. And it worked because I looked at things differently. And I also didn't have the preconceived price issue. See, when I started in the 80s, most of the contractors had what I called the $3,000 price hump. You know, they thought that nobody would ever pay more than $3,000 for a system. But nobody told me that when I started. So I charged $6,000 for a system. And I was selling more than most of them sold. And then I learned, you know, I'd, I'd also sell insulation because the houses weren't insulated. So my tickets were fairly high. And uh, closing ratio was real high. It was just you had to get out there every single day and, you know, knock on those doors. And when you'd knock on the doors, the people were there and they, they would talk to you. And I found out if they talked to you and let you in the house, it was pretty easy to sell those things. So that's what I did. Uh, it got a lot of attention from the manufacturers and distributors. They all wanted to come by and, and, and sell me air conditioning because they heard I was selling a lot of it. And they just found that out through the installers because I wasn't buying anything. But the installers told them who I was and they wanted to sell me equipment. Well, I didn't want to buy any equipment because I didn't have any installers. I didn't have any techs. I didn't have anything. I just sold it. So that's what I did. And that's kind of how I got started. But coming in from another industry and looking at it differently made me see opportunities, I guess, other people had just overlooked. And uh, that's what it was then. You know, today, a million dollars is not a big deal. You know, we have prices that are higher. It's not unusual to sell 10, 15, 20, $30,000 systems. You know, and I'm looking on the forums and I'm seeing some guys selling the system. Well, they're selling air conditioning. I don't think they're selling one system, but maybe they are, you know, for 80 and 100,000. Well, if I'm selling $80,000 systems, that makes a million a lot easier to hit. For sure. You know, so so now we've got guys that are, that are out there selling two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten million dollars, which is absolutely amazing. But uh, you know, when when we were doing it with the prices we had, it would have been a little tougher. And they have lead generation now. I didn't know what lead generation was. You know, I came from an industry where they just told you to go sell. You had to find your own leads. You had to find your own jobs. Then you had to sell it. Then you brought the deal back, and uh, then you got some money for doing that. So this whole finding leads thing was a total different animal animal to me. I didn't understand that either. So you were known as one of the first million-dollar salespeople in the 80s. Yep. But mm -hmm. that million dollars today looks like what? Like what would you compare that to? Well, you know, if I took a look at the average sale and what we do now, that would probably be equivalent to about three and a half, four million bucks. Got it. You know, maybe a little bit Serious. more. You know, I'd, I'd have to do the, the sure. price conversion on what it was. But, you know, if I take a look at what I sold then, when I, when I sold the full system and I insulated the house, and a lot of times there was an electrical upgrade or something that went with it. So, you know, that, that would be, you know, that would probably be closer to four and a half million. So, five. which is... Uh, a big deal. That's that's incredible. So that's a that's a big number. Um, now I can hear right now because we have a a wide variety of listeners. Um, that some people are going to think, well, the '80s. What's that got to do with today? It's you know, 2021. 
um, I think there's probably, and at least from what I've heard too, is there's still a lot of principles in place today that work you know, really well in sales. And that is like you went out, you, well, one, you chose to look at it differently. You looked at it like you'd said, nobody has shoes. I'm going to sell them shoes. Nobody has air conditioning. I'm going to sell them air conditioning. But you actually had to go in, like, we're not even talking lead generation. You went out and worked for it. Like you actually had to go out and grind, mm -hmm. you know, and put in the time and yeah. the effort. And that is completely the, like, the, let's face it, like today is no different. It's still the effort you put into this, you know, like, what are you willing to do to get it? Um, that's a big, yeah. that's a big number. So what is a, um, what does today's million dollar salesperson look like? Like, I mean, or whatever, like anything that's a, by who's can sell a million dollars, you know, what does that person look like? You know, we do several training programs. And, and one of the things that I do is, you know, every, a lot of people ask me that, you know, what do I have to do to sell a million bucks? Because that, you know, that used to be the, the milestone everybody's trying to hit, although a lot of people have overcome that. Uh, you know, so I, I just break it down. You know, if you take everything and break it down, a million dollar sales guy is a guy that will run leads a day six days a week uh two of them are going to crap out for some reason i don't know why i mean they have to take the kid to the ball game or get the cat fixed i don't know where the hell they go <laughs> but two of them are going to crap out you know so that leads you 10 you have to be capable of, of closing 50 percent of the calls you go on you know and and the the lead the closing ratio thing is is what throws a lot of people off you know and uh closing ratio can be manipulated by your lead mix more than anything else. Sure. You know, if, if, if I have an air conditioning company, if I have a plumbing company, if I have any kind of company and I'm depending on all call in leads, uh, yellow pages, which some people still use and some of the Google leads, because all Google did for the, for the plain Google leads is they took the yellow pages out of alphabetical order and made you pay to be on in the A slot instead of the Z spot. So, uh, you know, when they did that, and I can go on there, and, and a lot of people say, oh, no, the Facebook leads, the Google leads, those, those are all much better. Well, there's two kind of Google leads. You know, there's, I want to buy an air conditioner, so I go on there and I just put air conditioner near me, and this list comes up, and that one looks okay. Well, what the hell difference is that in the yellow page? You know, you don't know anybody. You know, the, the good Google leads are, he's got a good position. I know this guy to learn about more about the company. And I keep punching the buttons. That's a totally different lead. But so you've got this big variety of leads. You've got, you've got yellow page leads. You've got Google leads. You've got direct mail leads. You've got Facebook leads. You've got all this other stuff. But the guy's going to have to be able to close 50% in this mix. And to get a guy to consistently get 50%, there has to be some input from the company and the techs have to bring some leads to the table as well because the techs are very tight closing. Yep. So you get the guy at 50% closing ratio. So if, if he actually sees 10 people and he's got a 50% closing ratio, he's going to sell five jobs. Well, then we have to come up with average ticket and we have to have real world average ticket. You know, because when I hear these, these people say, well, well, my salesman has a $10,000 average ticket. That's, true in some cases some guys have a twenty thousand dollar average ticket but i'm taking a look at the the million and a half two million three million dollar company because that salesman in his position and that that's the most of the people that we're looking at you know they're they're going out there because the tech doesn't know how to sell this 
this one thing and it ends up being a $400 call. And then he'll go and sell a condenser only over here and a furnace only over there. And then he hits the home run with the full system. But if you take a look at it, if the guy sells five jobs a week, if he has a $4,000 average, he's going to sell 20000 a week. If he takes two weeks off, he'll sell 50 weeks out of the year. He sold a million bucks. You know, so, so that's what a million-dollar sales guy is. But he has to be committed to going there twice a week. Now, when they begin to maximize and learn how to be a salesman rather than a, a bid dropper uh, and a professional visitor, then there's, there's, they're upgrading and they're taking that $4,000 average sale and they learn to sell some indoor air quality. Then they learn how to sell the job with indoor air quality and take the guy and step him up from a 14 to a 16 or an 18 variable speed or a 20. And then they get their average sale up to where it's supposed to be eight and $10,000. And then you got a guy that'll sell 5 million. So, you know, it, it's just all part of a formula and how much the guy maximizes. But that's kind of what a million dollar guy looks like. Got it. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. But before we move on to ask some clarifying questions around what you just shared, I want to know, would canvassing still work today? And maybe it's not actual door to door canvassing. Is there what does canvassing look like today? What's that thing that someone could be doing that they're not doing? SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Well, everybody tries to, to speed this process up. So when I take a look at companies that are doing a good job with self-lead generation, uh, number one, it starts with the techs and leaving things on the doors. You know, I've, and I used the Jerry Kelly company in St. Charles, Missouri, Steve Miles company, as a good example of a, a company that's really good at self-generating leads. They go out there and they, they put a hanger on the house on each side and the, the three across the street or four across the street. And they, they, they have to make their, their door hanger, which is really canvassing, but not talking to anybody. It's just putting your info there. They don't use just a door hanger. You know, they use, they use a recyclable grocery bag full of stuff so that people actually find value in it and they look. Now, canvassing today in neighborhoods as far as knocking doors, talking to customers, are the guys that are going out there in advance of the jo job sometimes. And I've seen some contractors send a, a person out there to knock the 10 doors around there and say, hey, we're going to be installing a job in the next couple of days. In fact, it'll be whatever day it is. So you will see our truck here. We do our very best to clean up whenever we get done. But inadvertently, if it's a windy day, it might blow a little bit of trash away that we don't notice. So if you see anything out there, please give us a call. We'll be happy to get it if it's in your yard so we don't cause any commotion over there. And by the way, if you need anything, I'm Joe Cunningham from your air conditioning company. And here's my card. We'd love to make you our customer too. 
If there's anything I can help you with now, if you have any questions, I'd be glad to answer them. And they've got guys that out there that are doing it. And, you know, it works. But canvassing is a numbers game. Right. You know, direct knocking on the doors, cold canvassing still works in areas where there's a need. You know, there are still in virtually every city in the United States areas where there's still houses that are high window unit houses. So you go into those houses, you drive through the neighborhoods, and I tell lots of contractors, look at these houses, you should be in here. They say, what the hell are you talking about? Those people got window units. Look, that's a really raggedy window unit. It's even screwing up his brand new vinyl side. Look at that. I said, well, you know, how much you paid for that vinyl? You paid $20,000 for the siding job. Then you got a $15,000 window replacement job. You got a $10,000 roof and a $15,000 carport and a new Cadillac and a window unit. So, I mean, <laughs> suppose you showed up the day before the siding guy and said, today you get to make a choice. You get the choice to keep your family safer, cooler, healthier, and more comfortable and reduce your utility bills, or you won't have to paint your house again during your lifetime, which will probably be about twice, and the air conditioning's cheaper. Which one would you like? I mean, guess which one they'd have chosen, but they don't get the choice. We're not there. You know, and, and you take a look in your take a look in your community and see who's out there killing it in, in windows and see what neighborhoods they're in. And some of those neighborhoods, there's still windy unit neighborhoods. So why aren't you there knocking on the damn doors, <laughs> at least on Saturday and in the evening when they're home? Those people will talk. All you got to do is knock on the door. And here's the thing about it. When you knock on a door and somebody comes there and they actually let you in, the closing is so easy because they already made the big first buy. They let you mm -hmm. in. So canvassing will work today. You just need to pick the right spot. Got it. Got it. Thank you. So I want to go back to a comment you made before I ask a question about IAQ, and this could tie in together, but um, you talked about a salesperson versus a professional visitor. How do you take that $1 mm -hmm. million salesperson to a $4 million? And then what role does IAQ play in that? Where does that come into the mix? Well, here's the thing. You know, as, as we take a look at all the houses we're working on, and most of the people that listen to this podcast aren't new construction contractors. They are replacement contractors. And one thing you notice when you walk into a house is builders build a house to sell, not to live in. So there are all kinds of shortcuts taken. And people have lived with these shortcuts for years, and they think that their house has to be the way it is because it's just been that way for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you and Chris and I lived in the same neighborhood and uh, we live in one of these subdivisions where all the houses are kind of about the same. I mean, there's, there's two or three different floor plans and they change the fronts, but it's the same friggin' house. Yeah. You know, so we have our annual 4th of July neighborhood get together Christmas party. And I say, hey, Paul, sure is hot, isn't it? And what are you going to say at the 4th of July? Yeah, it's hotter than hell. And uh, I say, you know what? Your house is just about like mine. Is that back bedroom back there, the, the littlest one back? Is it always hot in your house? And what will you say? If your house is just like mine? You'll say, yeah, because it's the same jerk that put the air conditioning in there as <laughs> put it in mine. And then Chris says, you know what? My house is just like that, too. I guess it's just how the house is built. So you're never going to ask anybody to solve that problem because you don't know that it can be solved. Mm -hmm. But when I move from being a professional visitor and I go in and I, and I talk to these customers, 
And I ask him one simple question. If I had asked which is the most uncomfortable room in the house, which one would you say? They'll tell me every time. <laughs> every time. And when they give me that room, then we always have something to talk about. And we go in there, we educate them why that room's bad. Well, indoor air quality and airflow all go together. You know, and the reason that room back there is uncomfortable is because there's no return in it. So now I'm going to get him to put a return in there, which means that he's going to need a new filter grill back here. And then he has another one. I'm going to have to add a return over there. And one's not getting up the airflow because I do an airflow analysis as well. So we're going to change that duct. This guy doesn't want filter grills all over his house. So I sell him upgraded filtration. I'm selling him upgraded filtration while we're walking around the house. I ask him who in the house suffers from allergies. Mostly tell me that his kid does. So I'm going to be able to sell a UV light or whatever kind of filtration and air cleaning device you decide to be the good one. And it's easy. But, you you know, when here's what happens. When you move from being a professional visitor to a salesperson, you do a better analysis and you uncover problems. People only buy a solution to a problem they know they have. And if, if you don't show them they've got a problem, why would they ever bring that up? And a lot of the, these guys sit in their office and say, damn, what, why didn't anybody ask me about a UV light? That's because they've never heard of it. They don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, why didn't they ask me to make the back bedroom more comfortable? Well, they didn't know that you could. You know, you've got to learn to look beyond that. And that brings in IAQ, which is so easy to add to every job. And when I add IAQ and the fixing the air side problems, it's an occurrence on almost every job. So if I, if I add just one return and a media filter and the media cabinet and a UV light, I mean, we are up like three grand over the equipment. And because we focus on that and making this customer so comfortable, he doesn't even shop my equipment price. Right. He does business with me because I cared and I solved his problems. And that's the difference between being a professional visitor, somebody that goes by in quotes and hopes, and somebody that actually goes and solves problems. Quotes and hopes. I like that. <laughs> I like it. So this is what you spend your time doing now. You're teaching and coaching people how to think like this and how to improve their performance working with homeowners. Yes. Got it. Yes. And, you know, through Success Track Network, we, we do different training. We work with technicians and uh, we work with business owners. I don't do any technician training as far as communication skills without getting the business owners involved. And then we have a trade school as well. And we teach retail sales in the house, knock on the door, whatever we do, go there and run what we call the perfect service call on the sales side and a properly conducted residential sales call on the sales side. Got it. So people are coming down to Houston to work with you to get that training or how do you conduct that? Well, a couple different ways. You know, I do a whole lot of stuff for service roundtable and service nation mm -hmm. and they would bring large groups of people to their center there in Dallas. COVID has kind of cut that out. So we're doing that online. I broadcast out here, out of here. I built a broadcast studio. So we do the, the technician customer communication skills, a program that we call Systems for Success, which is for the managers online. And I'm doing retail sales online as well. Got it. So we Got do it. it online. We do it at different places. 
and I do a lot of stuff for train distributors and manufacturers, and uh, they they bring me into their customers and uh, or into their locations, and I do the training there as well. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about marketing. So I love this quote okay. of yours, uh, Chris, and I were talking about this. It says. You never make any money in the HVAC business until the day you realize you are a marketing company that provides AC services and not an AC company that only markets to survive. So explain that and tell me how you coach contractors to take on that mindset. Well, you know, if you take a look at the typical guy, you know, he'll go out there and he'll luck into finding a job. And then he puts the job in or he performs a task. And then he gets done in a day or so and he looks around and says, crap, I don't have another job to go to. You know, so then he spends three or four days hustling and he finds another job and then he does the same thing. Where if he put in a marketing program and had people there every day doing something to drive the job so he always has somewhere to go, then he'll be better off. You know, is you work with a lot of companies and they look at what to cut on their budget when things get bad. The first thing they want to do is we'll cut out marketing. We'll just cut that marketing and advertising budget down. And they don't realize that the only thing that's causing the phone to ring is that. And now they're just going to turn the damn phone off and think it's going to get better. So it, it's not really going to do that, but you have to make a, a an absolute decision that you're going to market every single day. Every single day is marketing day. You know, I've been real lucky here in growing this little company and that I have a lady here named Colleen and she's been with me for a long time. So, so she helped me do a lot of stuff up front and eventually I gave her too much to do. I overwhelmed her and she will do too much sometimes. So we, we got a marketing person in here and it gets better. And the more marketing we do, the more calls we can set, the more calls we set, the more money we can make more calls we set, the more techs we can hire, you know, and, and having a place to send them is really important. I mean, why do you want to go into the office one morning and say, Hey, you know, I got eight guys here and no place to go. What the hell do you do then? So if, if you focus on marketing, you're going to be better off. You know, it, it, it's, it's sometimes easier to find the right guys to send out there than it is to find some place for them to go because I don't care how good they are. If I can't send them to somebody's house, we're not going to make any money. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I actually, so that's inter interesting to hear you say that because I find that, I mean, it's no secret that about a tech shortage um, in the industry. And I typically, and now keep in mind, obviously I'm, I'm a marketing guy. So I typically think it's harder to find the guys to run the jobs than it is to find the jobs, like the leads. So it's interesting to hear you say that, but I love what you're saying about the, uh, being a marketing business. We've heard that before, and ironically, I was just on the phone with, I don't know if you know her or not, um, Joe, but Charlene Irna, who's down in um, Tampa Bay. I was on the phone with her yesterday, and that's what she says, too, mm -hmm. and she does a phenomenal job of marketing, but it's not just digital marketing. She's out in the community, like, doing, or like, so she, they do everything. Like, they're super involved, and almost kind of like your mentality in the beginning of just, you know, going out and grinding nonstop, putting in the work and the no zero days methodology that we take on. Um, yeah, but you got to do a little bit of mixture of everything. And I think that also you have to be okay with working on your brand. Um, and cause that brand equity yeah. will start to carry you, you know, far. And listen, if you have it all, if it's all, you know, functioning properly and you're getting, um, 
Now you're getting good lead volume. That the follow up to that is getting it consistently. So that way, when you're hiring, at least you know you can sustain somebody through you know when it comes out of the peak seasons into the slower or the shoulder seasons. So I'm a big fan of marketing. Obviously, I think it's a it's a huge piece of uh, success. I know it's a huge piece of success. So um, I don't like Paul. What's what's your thoughts on that, man? Like I know I obviously you you've been in the marketing yeah. world too, but like kind of what's where, where you have with all that. Yeah, I'm wanting to know, you know, from a consulting perspective, if someone comes to you and they're in a position where they just are not getting enough at bats, what are some of the first levers you pull with marketing? Or maybe you can think about your own company. Um, if it cools down a little bit, what are some of the tangible marketing tactics or channels that you will execute on? Okay, here's one thing that 99% of the companies out there ignore. They don't you know, during the busiest part of the year, the summertime, they totally ignore the opportunities of the things that they don't fix when they're out there and they don't record them. Let me give you an example. You call into my house, Paul, and I go out there and you came called in on a no cool call. So I come out to your house and I look at your system and I come back to you and I say, well, I checked your system out, Paul, and uh, your contactors are burn up, your capacitor's weak, uh, your fan motor's over-amping, your coil's dirty, your filter's plugged up, and you're low on refrigerant. Now, you as a homeowner who doesn't know anything about air conditioning will say this. Well, how much is it to fix all that, Joe? I say 1800 bucks. And you say, holy shit, that's a lot of money. You have to do all that to make it blow cold air? No, I said, Paul, if you, if you put the contactors in, it's a refrigerant, it'll blow cold air. I just don't know how long. Could be a day, could be a week, could be a year. I don't know. And then you'll ask me the only other question that you'll understand. How much for that? 500 bucks. So now you take the only two things that you really understand, 1800 and 500, and they're both going to turn your air conditioner on. And uh, you say, really I need new tires on my pickup. So now you buy that $500 solution. Well, just because you didn't want all that stuff done today doesn't mean that you never want it. It just means you didn't want it today because you needed new tires for your pickup, your kid needs braces, whatever, who knows. But the biggest mistake they make is this. In their paperwork, they never capture everything they leave. So, you know, if, if I'm going to tell somebody, here's how to pull the trigger when the phone isn't ringing, that's how you pull the trigger. But if, if you haven't collected that information all summer, you're screwed. Because Do you think your techs are going to remember Paul's house in the middle of July when I ask them, hey, who didn't get stuff fixed? And I'm asking them in October. You know, they don't remember that. And if, it, and if it's not taken care of on the paperwork or the software, then I don't have anywhere to go because the phone's not ringing. So that is always my number one thing to go through. And hopefully some of that stuff is on some invoices because those leads are free. You already got them. The people know you like you and trust you. So why the hell aren't you calling them? You know, so you start with that and then you take, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of avenues you can go through, you know, but a lot of people focus on marketing for new equipment only. Well, that bullseye in that target is really small Target for service and find the replacements. And you'll find out that you sell a lot more. So who's doing that well? 
like what kind of strategies? Who's doing that well? Yeah, I'm just curious, well, like know, if, if service type, there, like there, with there's every... a new there's a new buzzword that everybody's picked up, and I've been doing this for years, and I put a couple seminars out about two or three years ago, and I do a couple free ones every year. Everybody's came up with this new rehashing program. Well, uh, I've been rehashing for years. Okay, so anybody that rehashes successfully, they're doing just what I told you. Now, some of the software programs out there, in fact, most of the software programs do a really poor job of it because what you'll find is even the most sophisticated of the software, if I go in there and, and my tech does the ticket on his iPad and I show it all to the customer, I say, here's what you need, Chris. And, you, and Chris says, okay, do this, do that, do this, do that. Well, when it gets pushed to QuickBooks, the only thing that stays in there is what has a dollar amount attached to it. So Chris, in that case we just talked about, Chris on his invoice will only have his contactors in the refrigerant. All that information that we needed is thrown away. Right. And some of the some of the software makers say, well, we have a we have a workaround for that. Just get your technicians to make a duplicate invoice. He didn't want to make the first fucking invoice. <laughs> okay. So Great point. You think I'm going to get him real happy about making the second one? <laughs> nope. So, you That's know, good. there needs to be an easier way to do it. You know, so print your invoice, put a printer in the truck, but capture that information and start from there. Because I'm going to tell you this, if you came here like in October, you would see people in there calling on these invoices every single day. If you come here in the spring, you see people calling on these invoices. We call them declined repairs, and that's what we rehash for. Yep. We, uh, we rehash for declined repairs, and we rehash sales calls that we've missed. But when we rehash here, we generally send a letter, and then we call after it so the customer knows we're calling. And it just works. And we have one letter that we use. We've actually, it's the only letter I've ever seen that got 28% direct response on the direct mail when we combine it with a, telemar with a telemarketing call. So it just works. But, you know, if, if, you, if you went around to all the listeners you've got now and asked them how many of you are, you are really recording all the information and keeping that, because it should be locked in a safe, it's nothing but gold, and keeping that so you can call back and go out on those calls uh, you'll be surprised. It's a very, very small number. Now, there's some guys out there who put this stuff in apps and everything else. And, you know, it's a way to automate it, and it's better than not doing it. But I will say this. There's nothing that works like getting on the phone and calling them. I and wish my I, mechanic you know, would do that. <laughs> yeah. It makes all the sense in the and, world. And, and, yeah. You know, mechanics do it all the time. Uh you know, they, it, all service industries should do it. That doesn't mean that they don't. Yeah. You know, your doctors do it. Your dentist damn sure does because the dentist is starting to become marketers. Yep. Have you had your teeth cleaned today? Do you have this checkup? Do you have that checkup? Come in and get this and you get that. I mean, they're marketing, marketing, marketing. And you got to follow that plan. That plan. Got it. All right. Let's, let's pull back a little bit. I want to talk about the industry as it relates to high efficiency equipment. Um, you know, you alluded to earlier about taking the million dollar salesperson to a four or $5 million salesperson by doing higher efficiency, high, higher SEER. I'm obsessed with variable speed, modulating two stage, all that stuff, but I'm still discouraged mm -hmm. at the rate at which my neighbors are hearing about it. Right. 
I hear some companies that do it really well. I hear some of the best companies in the country that do none of it. And I just want your perspective on, you know, is that segment of the market growing? Will it grow? Um, how do you, how do you keep your technicians up to speed? It's one thing that, to, you know, find people who can do the, the basics, but how do you keep up with technology? Let's talk about all that fancy stuff. Well, you know, you need to get them trained and tell them about it. But, you know, for, for retail salesmen to, to move up in that world, uh, he has to understand more than just seer rating. And unfortunately, that's what most of them understand. You know, they'll come in and say, Paul, you need a new air conditioner. We have a variety of systems. You see, we have a 14, and we have a 16, and we have an 18, and we have a 20. And if you get the 20, it'll save you a whole lot of money on your, your system. Let me show you how much you'll save. Well, then the guy sits there, and he does the numbers thing. You know, well, if I did this, I'd save that, and the numbers don't work. And I have salesmen tell me, well, I penciled it out, and the numbers don't work. Okay, who sent you there on an investment tour? Okay. <laughs> We're going to make the people more comfortable. Is that why they called you? They didn't come and ask you to analyze their portfolio. <laughs> so quit that. You know, and stop spending people's money for them. Here's if, if you want to sell a lot of multi-speed variable speed, you have to educate the customers because the distributors and manufacturers do an extremely poor job of it. I mean, you know, and, and they put stuff on the radio and TV. Who in the hell understands? You know, the top on our unit will, will stop a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Well, unless Nolan Ryan's coming to have lunch for you, why do you give a shit? You know, so, <laughs> so the thing about it is we're in the house and we're going to talk about comfort. And here's where the guys miss the boat. When they do a heat load. Heat loads are what sells variable speed, multiple speed, higher efficiency, all that technology. And I'm going to tell you how you do it. You have to do a heat load every time. So let's say I go, I'm in Houston, Texas, and I go out on a sales presentation and I sell and I make my heat load and I say, Chris, according to the heat load, you need a four-ton air conditioning system. And that will take care of your business, your house right there. And he'll look at it, and he won't know what that means. And then you say this. Now, I do a heat load by hand because there's things in there I need to talk to this customer about. The most important thing is design temperature because they won't know what that means. To tell you the truth, a lot of contractors don't know what the hell it means. But let me tell you how I did this heat load, Chris. When we sat down, remember I told you we were designing the air conditioning system that would keep your family cool and comfortable when it's hot as 98 degrees here in Houston? Remember that? And he'll remember it because I wrote it down and I circled it so he'd see it. I said, you know what? That's the same thing I did when I did my house, too. I designed the air conditioner to keep my house nice and cool and comfortable when it's as hot as 98 degrees. But then I got to thinking... It's really not 98 degrees every day here in the summer, is it, Chris? So here's what I did. I went on the National Climatic Data Center, and I found out that it only gets to 98 degrees seven days out of the year in Houston. And out of those seven days, it only stays there about five hours a day. So what we did at my house is just like I did at your house. I designed the perfect air conditioner for you 35 hours out of the year. You're going to be perfect. But the rest of the year... You're going to have one that's too big. 
because I looked up the average summertime temperature and I found out that our average summertime temperature is only 79. And we have a whole lot more 79 degree temperatures than 98, don't we? So I did two heat loads. I did one at 98. I did the other one at 79. Let me show you what I found. I pulled one out. Let's show them. See here at 98, I needed just like you four tons. But at 79, I only needed two tons. That kind of told me that everybody should probably have two air conditioning systems in their house, shouldn't they, Chris? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm never going to try and sell you two, two air conditioning systems, but that's why I'm so excited about this technology. Let me show you how it works, and I show them. If you set it up that way, you're going to move your product mix from 60 and 70%, 14, 15, 16 or less single-speed stuff, and you'll just completely reverse that switch. And the 18 here, and the, and the thing is, the, the multi-speed guys, you got to have some better installers because the installations are getting a more, little more complicated. The communicating systems are getting a little more complicated. Right. But if you've got the guys that can do it, it's not hard to do it. You just have to do it. And it's the one thing none of your competitors will tell. How, how many and, contractors are doing a heat load? I, I mean, uh, ball, ballpark percentage of... Not very damn many. That's a measure. Yeah, it's, it's pretty low. Um, and you yeah. say you're do yours. You say you're doing yours by hand. Is there? Do you have a favorite software that our listeners could refer to? I don't. I don't do software on there, and I'll I'll tell you why. Yeah. Uh, the heat load is part of my presentation. You know, and, and I use the train one page paper heat load. A lot of guys they say we want to get away from paper. What the hell for? Paper is a renewable product. Farmers make money growing trees. What the fuck, you hate farmers? <laughs> paper is okay. You can really use paper. But the thing about it is, once you learn how to do it, it only takes you 20 minutes. But the yeah. thing about it is, here's the deal. Up at the top, I have to write Chris's name and his number and tell him what his design temperatures are, yeah. summer and winter. That sets the stage for doing what you're doing. Then you come down... Nobody else has done this. Guy come in and said, how many square feet do you have in your house? Chris says 2,000. Okay, well, it's 400 square feet a ton. I guess you need a five ton. Air doesn't come in square feet. Who the hell ever told him that shit? Air comes in volumetric measurements, cubic feet. Because if that worked that way, if I had a 2,000 square foot house, he has a 2,000 square foot house. I got 10 foot ceilings. He's got eight. We'd still need the same amount of air. We don't. We don't. That's why you have to do it. You can't do it by square feet. You ever gone to, you can't buy milk by the square feet either. You ever go in there for five <laughs> square feet of milk? You can't get that. That's volumetric. Gosh, we're okay. just getting warmed up. I have up. to know how much air is in this house. So not only that, I have to know where my windows are in this house. And the good thing about the train one, it breaks down all your windows. And, you know, you've got all your factors in there. So I can show Chris. I said, look, let me show you something really cool, Chris. We're going to take all the north windows and we're going to put them here. You have this many feet of windows on the north side. We multiply it by this number. And all the south windows go here. And all the east and west, we put them together. But the multiplier is a lot higher. You know why? No, why? Well, where does the sun come up every day, Chris? And say in the east, where does it go down? In the west. How many days a year does it do that? Like every damn one, right? So 
we're always going to have the sun beating on the east and west more. <laughs> See, if I took your house and I turned it this way, you wouldn't need as much air. So if a guy come in here and just told you without even knowing this, he'd be taking advantage of you, wouldn't he? So the heat load allows you to do so many things. But then they, you got the guys on the computer. I got one. I had a guy tell me at, at uh, Ashray one time, not Ashray, but the big ACA meeting in Nashville. I went there. He came up to me and showed me this little thing. He said, look at this. I can do a heat load in 18 seconds. Well, who the hell does that make happy? 18 seconds? When I was 16 years old, there was a whole lot of things I could do in 18 <laughs> seconds, but I was the only one happy about it. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so take your time and do that. You know, everybody tries to, to, how long does it take you to run? I want to do a 30-minute presentation. You can't do a 30-minute presentation. You got to take the time to do it. And the heat load is what sets you apart. Now you only have to do the second heat load one time. That's at your house. <laughs> oh God, this is fantastic. But, Dude, Joe's on one. Joe's I really like on one. Oh man. That you just had to get so you warmed good. up a little bit. All right. All right. Let's for the sake of time, <laughs> man, I guess like, we have to get how far in are we guys? We're like 55 minutes in. I lost track of like the last 20 because Joe was on one. Man, that was fantastic. Those who aren't watching on YouTube, Chris and I have our microphones on mute, just laughing our faces <laughs> off at letting Joe just preach. It's um, but I hear you loud and clear. So, uh, designing for design temperature and doing a hand load, um, I hear you loud and clear. That's a that's an overlooked art, heat, but heat load, heat load. So let's <laughs> talk about couple couple uh, closing questions here. Um, Joe, tell us about the Technical Arts Center. Okay, the Technical Arts Center is a training facility that we have here in Houston. And uh, we have what we call the Fast Track Program. And, you know, the, the extreme shortage of techs today make this program more important than it's ever been. You know, I can take a guy, if he can spell AC and has any technical competency at all. I don't ask him to spell furnace, there's too many letters. But <laughs> AC will do it. And in nine days... I can turn him into a pretty damn good maintenance tech. He'll go out in the field. He'll understand sequence of operation. He'll know how to use his gauges. He'll know how to use his meters. He'll know how to figure subcool and superheat. He will also know, since he understands sequence of operation, how to do basic troubleshooting. We give him his 608 EPA test here. So if he has any snap at all, he's going to pass it. And he will be ready to put in a truck at your place. So that's our basic program. We also have an advanced air conditioning class. So it's kind of like a career path. You send me a tech and we send him through the nine day class. And then he makes it through the spring or he makes it through the fall and summer's coming. You can send him to advanced AC tech class, which is a three day class. And then we have an advanced heating class, which mm -hmm. is a three day class and advanced troubleshooting class. And if they go to all those classes, you'll build a tech in 16 months. It would normally take five years. So that's what we do here. Now, due to COVID, I had so many requests for online classes that I've also taken that class and broken it down. So we've done it now oh, two or three times, and I broadcast two times a day on it. We do two hours a day, five days a week for four consecutive weeks. But if a company signs up for that program, I send them a set of plans so they can build their own training lab at their place. So their guys have the same thing we're working at, working on. 
takes just typical carpentry skills. I ask them not to use brand new equipment in it. You know, just put something together that can be made to run. Because when I send a tech out in the field, he's not going to work on all brand new equipment. He's going to work on stuff that's been out there for a while. So they put all that together, and then we go online and we do it. I broadcast at 7 o'clock in the morning Central, so we get the East Coast and Central guys. And I broadcast at 9.30 so I, Central time, so I get the Rocky Mountain and the West Coast guys at a reasonable hour. They're in there for two hours. And every day at the end of the class, they send me what we call a personal learning experience that tells me, here's what I, I learned that I think will help me most. Here's what I learned that I didn't know before. And here's what we went over that I think we need to review because I didn't understand it. So it's kind of like a no tech left behind deal. So we don't go forward. If you didn't get 24 volt wiring, okay, we're not going anywhere until everybody gets 24 volt wiring. Every day starts with a little review and then we go forward. Every night you got a little bit of homework. Now we can't give the EPA test on the online classes because that's a proctored test. They have to physically be here. I can't proctor them online. So we've started doing that as well. And some pretty amazing things have happened here in Houston. Uh, I've been having people ask me to do local classes. And there's this guy, if you look him up, he's one of the most amazing guys in the world. His name is Jim McInvale. He owns a company called uh, Gallery Furniture. And he's grown from nothing to a multi, multi-million dollar corporation with four different locations. He gives more back to the city of Houston than anybody else. He flies entire airplanes full of vets to the world series and to the to the super bowl he does some amazing things but he's done it all because he's grown his business the right way and i met him a long time ago and to do a local school i needed to get in with texas workforce commission and i knew he would need somebody there so i just stopped on it in on the whim one day and he said well you know what we're doing a trade school too he said what are you doing i said i'm doing air conditioning and we've added plumbing to it as well and he said well uh you know what? Here's the guy that runs our school. We don't have room to do it here, but we want to do it. Maybe you could partner with us. So now we're getting ready to partner with them. And what that does for us, and most states have this program that, and a lot of people don't know about it with this tech shortage, is they have a training program set up in their state where they will, where they will pay to train the guys. And then after they get out, they have an OJT program where you can hire these techs that just got out and they'll pay up to 75% of their salary for six months. It's the most amazing program I've ever seen. So we're getting ready to be involved in that as well here at the trade school. And that's why we're in the middle of moving. We needed a, a different location. So that's kind of the technical art center in a nutshell. Well, I think it's it. Uh, I like the, um, the shift that's kind of happening with at least COVID. It has allowed us to, um, well, we had to change up kind of how we did business, but I kind of like the mixture of, you know, face-to-face versus virtual, like whatever. I think it's going to be, well, it's far more Mm -hmm. efficient, but not, you know, like, especially because we're in such a relational business, like this is a very relational business, but it's nice to be able to break that thing up a little bit. But I love that you're doing, you're so involved in it. I love the last 25 minutes of this podcast the most, just because I felt like you were on it and the passion was pouring out of you. And we got like raw Joe Cunningham in the last 25 minutes. That was fan, fantastic. So you said a couple of things that I want to um, hit back on. I know we're, I think we're pretty getting pretty close to an hour in the, on the podcast, which is about people's capacity. Um, uh-huh. And uh, so about a couple of things you said, one quotes and hopes <laughs> was uh, something I heard you, you say um, professional visitor. Uh, I'd never heard that. I've never heard professional visitor before. So that was something new to me. 
Um, design temperature, also something I've not heard of. Um, and again, obviously, maybe somebody else heard it, just not me. And then heat load. Heat load is something that I have, um, I knew nothing about. Of course, I don't come from the technical side of things at all. Um, but that's something I've never heard about is the heat load side of it. But I would also say one thing I did appreciate is you call them uh, windy units, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is what my grandpa used to call it, <laughs> ours because he didn't ever say winda. He didn't say window. He called them windy. Windy units. Cricks and mm-hmm. windy units. <laughs> and washing machines. And washing machines. Hey, Joe, thanks so much for coming on here, man. We appreciate it. Would you mind, real quick, if anybody listening wants to, to reach out to you directly, just sharing the best way for them to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, I'm going to give you both my email address and my cell phone number. Perfect. Email address is joe, J-O-E, 9152 at Verizon. Net. And my cell phone number, because that's the easiest way to reach me, is 318-286-7742. Perfect. And we'll share that uh, in the post as well. But, hey, Joe, I mean, I appreciate you giving us, you know, an hour of your of your time and, um, you know, and sharing all these years of your uh, knowledge and wisdom and training and consulting and tactics and all this fun stuff. So, um, listeners, hopefully you got uh, as much out of that as I did. Like I said, um, I felt like that last, you know, last 25 minutes of that podcast was fire for me. Fire. I mean, I love, I love whenever I hear somebody's passion coming out, it always makes it so much more entertaining. So Joe, thank you so much, man, for giving us your time. I appreciate you. No problem, Chris. Thanks for having me on. It was you, fun. You are most welcome. We thank you. And I want to go ahead and in this, like I normally do too, if and Paul, I'll go ahead and read this one since I think you did the last one, but I will, the review. Sure. Uh, we get a five-star review from Jeremy Beatty, um, and it says, episode 76. Do you remember what episode that was, Paul? Don't cheat. Don't look at the sheet. 76? I do. It was um, Tools and Tierras. That's it. Doodling. That's it. It says, excitingly, our company, Beatty Brothers Heating and Cooling, uh, just joined the Rhino family. Sweet. Welcome. Uh, well, welcome to the family. Uh, I was telling Jeff Boab, our director of business Shout development, out. recently that I've listened to every episode to the point and jokingly told him that I feel... Like Paul and Chris have already been like distant cousins to to me for two years. Very cool. Over the past two years, I've listened to every Tommy Mello podcast, friend of ours, out here in Phoenix. Um, uh, uncountable hours of Gary V. I've watched and listened to the majority of every single podcast out there with every big name and has anything to do with our trades, uh, entrepreneurship, business, etc. The episode number seventy six was one of them. It was one of, if not the most enjoyable podcasts that I've listened to as a father of a daughter. It is very encouraging to see that things that this lady is doing for young girls. The world spends too much time telling people that they aren't supposed to do something, air quotes, instead of encouraging them to break a mold. I love that. Uh, we need to build people by giving them confidence, independence, and power, tools, and tiaras for the win 100. So thanks, Jeremy Beatty. I agree. Nice. I have three daughters, so I appreciate that. So listeners, again, I always love when you leave these reviews um, like this. Obviously, it lets me and Tall Paul and the rest of the uh, podcast crew um, – know exactly you know what what the end result is and that is to give back to to you and hopefully you can take these things and implement them like quotes and hopes <laughs> and design temperature and heat load joe again appreciate you so much tall paul appreciate you so much listeners we appreciate you so much please do not hesitate to reach out to joe guy's got a ton of knowledge and i'm sure he can share much more with you if you need his help until next time we'll see you <laughs> listeners thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week we are extremely grateful Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really, 
Really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, it's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, scroll all the way down to the bottom and hit write a review and be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.